Okay, my friend, it's off to the next life for you. I guarantee you won't be lonely. Welcome back to Pulp Clifton. We've got a special guest here today in Matthew Tucker, and we're doing a very important movie in the history of Matt and I's uh, cinematic world, and that's Man on Fire. Matt, how we doing? Blake, it's uh, it's hard to be doing any better. I got a hot cup of coffee. I've got a book full of notes, and we're talking about one of my top five favorite movies of all time. So I'm pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Why are we Why are we doing Man on Fire? Oh, let me count the ways. Man on Fire is firmly in my top five favorite movies, and it's actually one of two top five movies for me that is certified rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'd love to go more into that and hear your thoughts on Rotten Tomatoes. But just real quickly, I think it's really important when we delineate between what our favorite movies are and what are good movies and bad movies to keep in mind that something can be my favorite without being the best, right? My favorite burger in town, I live in Austin, Texas, is Dan's Hamburger. Dan's Hamburger is not made with 100% Wagyu beef, (laughs) right? It's not sharp American cheese imported overnight from Wisconsin, but it's a damn good burger, and it's greasy, and it's cheesy, and I love it. It's awesome. Man on Fire Fire is a real good burger. It's not winning many awards, but there's some real good stuff in it, and I can keep coming back to it every time. I'm really happy that you brought up the Rotten Tomatoes because, gosh, what is, what is the, is it, is it in the 40s? It's 39%. Unbelievable. So 39% Rotten Tomatoes. I think, and I'm sure you do this every now and then too, is you can go watch a movie and then you have your opinion of it, but you can also guess within maybe 10, 20% of what, what Rotten Tomatoes is actually going to have it at. Mm -hmm. But I was totally wrong i remember this being one of the i was thinking all right maybe you know there's some weird parts maybe 75 79 percent because it's you know it's denzel it's a great plot um and when you see 39 you're like okay this this is a movie (laughs) of the people that's right see rotten tomatoes it's a flawed tool i think that it has some uses I get on, and if I see super high tomato score, tomato meter, I don't even know what they call it, and super low audience score, I'm thinking, okay, this is probably artsy-fartsy, and I'm willing to give it a go. If I see a super low tomato meter and a super high audience score, a la Man on Fire, I'm probably going to have a great time. It's either a really fun action romp or a super emotional good time that you know, it has something wrong with it. If it's super high on both, then either it was a really good blockbuster kids movie or a really, really, really good movie. So useful, but not the gospel. And uh, and, and same thing. I I thought, I think this is rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. I can't remember for sure. And it was in the 30s. I was like, yeah, that's right. I totally forgot. It hits even harder when when you see that, that, yeah, that cabbage but, patch next to it. But eighty-nine <laughs> percent audience score with two hundred and fifty thousand votes. Like, come on. Let's so not let's take get into. So seriously. <laughs> Speaking of not taking your your movies too seriously, this is directed by Tony Scott. Come on, 
starring Denzel Washington, Dakota Fanning, Christopher Walken, uh, among others. Uh, it came out in 2004 with 20th Century Fox, cost roughly $60 million to make, and then pulled in $130 million, so just doubled it. Um, I'm sure 20th Century putting Tony Scott and Denzel together were expecting more than 130, but you can't say it was a bust. I think at the time it was in, you know, in two phrases, it was mixed reviews with decent earnings. <laughs> I mean, but surely they made some money with how often it's on TNT and TBS and FX. I swear it is on any given weekend on one of those channels. Absolutely. I mean, the royalties that they've got to be bringing in have got to eclipse. Astronomical. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe the percentage points that Denzel probably took. <laughs> so in a few okay, words, so, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just about to out myself. I, uh, I'm i not going to lie to you, Blake. I'm a pretty ambitious guest. I'm not saying that I'm gunning for co-host and definitely not taking over the pod. But <laughs> cards on the table, I'm hoping to be your esteemed audience's favorite recurring guest. And with that being said, I did none of the homework I was going to tell you that I or that I told you I was going to do. I mean, I watched the movie and took copious notes, obviously, but I have no idea what the structure is here. I've listened to zero other podcasts, so I've got a lot of thoughts. I've got what I thought works, what doesn't, goosebump moments, cringe moments, Tony Scott thoughts, Denzel thoughts. So you tell me where we're going, brother. Well, I'll tell you what. So, I mean, for a few years now, I, I actually know it was... October of 2017, I was visiting your house in Austin, and we had the realization watching a movie that mm -hmm. not only are we avid movie, you know, moviegoers, but we have we have lists, we have Excel docs. You shared me an Excel doc where yep. it's pretty much a Rotten Tomato for our community, <laughs> and yep. I immediately just thought, okay. Uh, this this has some legs. And last weekend, we had the pleasure of hanging out for, what, two, two and a half days. And mm -hmm. I had mentioned in passing uh, something about the pod. And the look you gave me was the look <laughs> that my of my brain's light going off of, I mean, what what are we doing here? How is Matt, how have we gotten, you know, a year and change into this and Matt has still not been on this thing? So, just to reiterate uh, your point in this, you'd, <laughs> I would say that not doing your homework <laughs> is the, the, the bones and the foundation of what this podcast is all about. Okay, good. That's, that's uh, a relief to hear. So I do want to get into, before we dive into the movie and kind of take a 30,000 foot view of where, where we are in Man on Fire. Mm -hmm. So this is 2004, turn of the century, uh, has kind of taken place. Um, movies are just kind of in a weird area. The, the, we're going from realism to CGI with this kind of no man's land in the middle. Um, what is working, what is not working. You know, Titanic hits, and at the turn of the century, everything needs to be an epic. People are trying to do say gladiator and pearl harbor and these absolute epics looking for the next titanic and and then we have tony scott <laughs> <laughs> and, 
the, Tony the Scott. lesser known, the lesser praised of the Scott brothers. Dude, uh, I was listening to the podcast. <laughs> criminally underrated. All right. Th- let's dive into this right now. Um, I was listening to a podcast that was uh, interviewing Quentin Tarantino. And Quentin had chosen the movie they were going to break down as the movie for the movie Unstoppable of Denzel and Chris Pine, which is a Tony Scott movie. And he just starts the whole podcast with, if you're giving me the option, you can have Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe. <laughs> Give me Tony and Denzel. That's all I oh, need. Oh, man. And so the question is, who has, between Ridley and Tony, Ridley's going with Alien, Blade Runner, you know, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Kingdom of Heaven, American Gangster, Prometheus, you know, The Martian, and then recently he did this year at Last Duel, which um, I think will get more listeners than people who watch that movie, and then House of Gucci. Um, and then, of course, on the other side, you've got Tony, who, gosh, his his filmography just makes you want to, it just... You know, it's, we, we... it's out of control. It, the <laughs> influence that he has had in popular movie culture is pretty wild. Like his no his legacy joke, is going to go longer than his movies. I consider myself an above average movie buff, and I, on more than one movie in his filmography, went, "Wait, that was him too!" Oh my gosh, gosh, his dude so, dude gets buckets. Top he so Tony Scott is quality over quantity and quality with a grain of salt all right <laughs> top gun <laughs> beverly hills 2 beverly hills cop 2 days of thunder the last boy scout true romance crimson tide enemy of the state man on fire deja vu pelham one two three a team uh he produced and then unstoppable were kind of his highlights i mean an absolute banger of what 15 minutes or 15 movies uh, that all kind of stay under two hours and they're just a great time. So are yep. you taking Tony or Ridley? I'm not going to lie to you, Blake. Walking up to work today, I was hoping that you wouldn't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the way I see it, so for those who don't know, it, Tony Scott and Ridley Scott actually are brothers, very impressive family. And Ridley for sure has more of a he's more of a critical darling, even though yeah. he's done really, really big Hollywood movies. Um, I think Tony has more rewatchability. Ridley has a higher ceiling. And the way that I thought about it this morning, when I hoped you wouldn't ask me this <laughs> sure. is what, instead of taking a director in a movie draft, if I was going through a draft of all of their movies or really every movie ever like what movies am i going to take and that sounds a little bit like a cop-out but gladiator i've got number one overall Mm. i think that that is a better more well put together movie than any of tony scott's movies but it is wild how much fun and how rewatchable so many of his movies are um so i think ridley is probably the better director but Man, I love so many of Tony's films. I'm a I'm a big fan, and I will go to bat for that guy. You know, Tony 
Uh, it's, I mean, that's well put, and I'm sorry for asking because, you know, it it is top heavy. Maybe Ridley with you know Alien, Gladiator, Blade Runner, just those three right, right there is like okay, yep. wow. But with Tony, he was able to, and I love the way that he hitched himself with specific people and then continued it. Who, yep, they understood what his vision was not even for the plot half the time but for the way you want to feel in the theater yep tony's legacy is how to make the movie five minutes in it's like whoa i am in a tony scott movie the key, there's always um movement uh, either the cameras are moving mm-hmm. the camera never stops moving not directionally but it's like the camera's always in a car there's... To the point of near nausea in Man on Fire. I've got that under stuff that doesn't work, but keep going. Man on Fire is the godfather of camera <laughs> movement. I mean, I can't, I, I'm like, I can't take my eyes off Denzel, but I keep accidentally because I can't follow him. <laughs> there's there's a couple of moments that Tony's doing his darndest to distract you from what's going on. But Absolutely. Uh, more on that later. He wants to make you feel chaos in all of his movies. Um, so I think you're right. Um, he's he's going to be a legacy guy there. It's going to be a Tony Scott type movie. I think outweighs a Ridley Scott type movie because Ridley goes for specific things and Tony stays true movie to movie to movie. I mean, tell him one, two, three and unstoppable. I, those trains are moving less in the camera. Um, yeah, Ridley's Ridley's. I love the way you put it. Ridley's top three, maybe four movies are really, really, really good. But Tony's got like ten movies that are just highly rewatchable. It's a very deep roster. And but this is a, we're, we're on a Tuesday, and on Friday this weekend, the anticipated Top Gun Maverick is coming out, and that's kind of Top Gun is what. Really got Tony started, mm-hmm. um, and I and wish so badly he was alive. Yeah, to, Tony is to no longer with us. Yeah, number two. Um, so let's. I want to go through real, real quick, just kind of a quick fire top five Tony Scott movies on your list, um, and uh, I made a list as well. Um, let's start with number five on yours. I've got Enemy of the State at number five. All right, let's think, see. Uh, I have I have Enemy of the State on number five for me. Ooh, interesting. If, if, we promised see, we didn't if, compare notes. If, if this is five to one identical, then, you know, I don't it's know if anybody's going to, gonna, yeah, coming back <laughs> or, or nobody's going to yeah. believe this. Um, I've got, yeah, Enemy of the State, fun flick, Will Smith's great. Why'd you, why'd you blow you up your house? That now. Because you made a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've got Days of Thunder, number four. Ooh, okay. I've got Crimson Tide, number four. Ooh, all right. Things are getting spicy. What'd you have, number three? Number three, I had True Romance. Um, Same. Did you really? I did, that's, yeah. That's great. Uh, that was one of those where Tarantino had written True Romance, and he wrote Reservoir Dogs, and Tony Scott said, I want to direct one which one do you and and tarantino's like <laughs> i'm directing reservoir and he's like all right i'll direct through romance and i can't imagine them have done doing the other ones that's <laughs> no, really you, funny to think about can, can you imagine the camera movement no. and and reservoir disaster <laughs> all right i've got disaster. top gun number two i do as well i kind of thought you were going to put it number one even though we were talking about man on fire today uh yeah i've got top gun two and man on fire number one 
Wow, that's incredible. So Crimson Tide uh, is the only thing that we had different with Days of Thunder. Yeah, and, and part of why I'm excited to talk about Man on Fire, which we promise the listeners we will eventually do, is that I just don't think that many people are going to put it as Tony Scott's number one film, and almost nobody is going to put it as Denzel's number one performance. Mm. But it's number one for me on Tony Scott's list, and it's definitely not Denzel's best performance. But it might be my favorite movie that it can be in. a favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is like the Tony Scott special. It's like. What's the best movie of all time? What's my, what's the best movie or what's my favorite movie? Because, I mean, right. <laughs> that's the Tony Sock question, you know? Um, what uh, Did you make a Denzel list? You know, I didn't. Off the top of my head, I did want to hit on Denzel. Um, I don't think, because really what, what it feels like is you go in the history of Hollywood, the way that I know it is you have this kind of, Marlon Brando to Newman to um, gosh Robert Redford and then into this Pacino De Niro um, Duval type world that goes slowly into like the Cruz era and then Hanks and then Denzel and then Leo. Um, and I don't – who would you say is on top right now? Right now? It's a hard um, question. There's just so many. There's so it, – it's like it's like the NBA. There's so many good players. There's not just one Jordan. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of talent in the league right now. There's, there's a lot of young up-and-comers, and there's a lot of guys who still have their fastball. Like Tom Cruise holding on. Man, did you watch that trailer for uh, oh, Mission Impossible? I sure did. How is that guy um, 60? I, it's awesome. He's a crazy person, but it's awesome. Um, I Yeah, I, I, I can't say who's on top right now. It's, it's tough, and there's some good up-and-comers, but I don't think in the history – it's hard to take your eyes off really, like some of those old greats, but I think that Denzel is the most unmatched – like magnetic figure on a screen of television that you can, that you could ever ask for. I mean, I, the dude is cold as hell and I literally want to just be that cool for a day. Yeah, he, he's amazing. And it's pretty upsetting that he came up at the same time as Daniel day Lewis. Hmm. It's upsetting to me. It's upsetting to nobody else because Denzel has nine nominations for best actor. I'm sorry. No, he has seven for best actor and two for best supporting. And he has two wins. And Daniel Day has six nominations for best actor and three wins for best actor. But if that dude had been born 50 years earlier, Denzel would just have an iron grip on this generation of actors. And Daniel Day-Lewis is amazing. No one sinks into a character quite like him. But Daniel Day-Lewis isn't making The Equalizer or Man on Fire. And what is amazing to me about Denzel is that he produces and directs and stars in Fences, is, is a trained stage actor, can win Best Actor or Best Supporting for a number of different roles, 
And then also we'll go and make the equalizer one and two and man on fire. And I'm all in. I want to see all of it. He can it's be all amazing. He can be Malcolm X. He can yeah. be a corrupt cop. He can be the most inspirational head football coach. And then he can also direct fences. And, and he's the equalizer, right? It's awesome. But really the and, word that you use that I totally agree with is he is so, so magnetic. And and he he seems like he's just as magnetic in real life. The, the past two Oscar fiascos. Yes. He's he's been the guy like telling directing. He's he's directing the TV show as Moonlight loses and wins at the same time. Right. And Chris Rock. Jimmy Kimmel's like looking around and Denzel's like, Jimmy, do this. And (laughs) Will Smith slaps a guy on stage and Denzel's like, What are you doing? The devil's out to get you. Let me pray for you. The devil's coming for you. (laughs) Jimmy, go to the (laughs) Jimmy, get under control. Like and that's just like Denzel is like he is the king and so ev- cool. it's like he's in a category by himself right yeah um i i love his performances to your point being so across the scale you know from book of eli to mm-hmm. um i mean malcolm x not winning that that was a al pacino legacy achievement award i don't understand how he won for sin of a woman but it's neither here nor there. Yeah, um, we won't talk about it. So what are the, and you had mentioned this a little bit, but what are, what are some adjectives on the overview of what Man on Fire is trying to accomplish here? <laughs> I don't know what it's trying to accomplish. <laughs> trying I don't know what it's trying to accomplish murder. anything. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'll talk about why I love it. I have no idea what they were trying to do. Um, I just know that it works and I love it. I also know that it is so 2004. Like, I love this movie. I will always love this movie, but some of the choices on cinematography and style and music just scream 2004. There's so many quick cuts and shaky cam with like a little bit of an overexposure so that everything's blurring and then they switch to the slow-mo with the same blurry exposure it's it's like it thinks it's being really cool but now it looks just like a total try hard that's kind of whiffing on a bunch of areas um so there's there's a lot to me that doesn't hold up and that doesn't work but we'll get into that later let's talk about why we love this movie and one of the reasons that i love this movie is some of the try hard stuff works it's trying to be a half dozen different movies and it hits on a lot of that for me it is a story about an addict and then a recovering addict boom quick way to my heart it's a story about redemption it's a story about a guy with a certain set of skills it's an action flick it's a revenge flick it's it, it's got some pretty hard spiritual elements it's a weirdly spiritual movie i have no idea what tony scott's deal on religion is but part of why it doesn't work as a movie is because it's trying to do so many things at the same time but the flip side of that is part of why i love it is it's trying to do so many things at the same time and it's trying to do so many things that i absolutely love Mm. um so those are those are some of the things that stick out to me what about you 
Yeah, I think that to your point, if, if you replace Denzel, because he, I, I would be, I would be content watching Denzel wash dishes for an hour <laughs> in, in, in the equalizer or clean a yeah. gun in the book of Eli or drive a car in training day. Just, I, I would be, he is the coolest dude you'll ever watch doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think Tony taps into that, but one of the questions I was going to ask is, do you look at this as a redemption story or a revenge story? And to your point, it can be the exact same thing. Uh, uh, something that I did notice, I accidentally paused it. And we'll get into, um, you know, the meat of this. Um, and we can get into the scheme of it right now. I think in <clears throat> maybe two sentences, uh, Denzel is kind of a burnout CIA agent, uh, CIA agent who has fallen into being a bodyguard for a girl in Mexico City. And at the time, there were, I think they say, 24 kidnappings in the last six days. And you have to figure out who's doing it, but Denzel doesn't really care about the details because he is coming out of this alcohol situation that he's put himself into. And um, you realize that it's uh, kind of an inside deal, corruption with cops. Um, and it's just the, the first half versus second half is a completely different tone in the movie. Um, what's funny and, and, you know, like <laughs> you had, did you, did you watch the trailer on this before you watched yeah, it? Yeah, I, I did. I rented it on Amazon last night and I thought, oh, you know what? I'd love to take a little trip back and remember what 2004 trailers are like. Right. And it, it cracked me up because it, the trailer starts halfway through the movie. It starts with PETA's kidnapping and advertises itself totally just as a revenge movie, which like, look, I'm here for a good revenge movie. I love revenge movies, but sitting down to watch it last night, I just forgot how quickly and how hard hitting, at least to me, I'm a total sap. A lot of the, the, the first hour is we have Denzel being drunk, kind of reaching out rock bottom to his friend, Christopher Walken, uh, a little bit of trivia I learned almost every scene between the two of them is improv that should be a surprise to nobody and is why their chemistry is so great and they seem like actual friends great piece but yeah it's awesome but I was I was I don't remember their friendship being as awesome as it was but rock bottom reaching out gets him a job he's super antisocial. we uh, PETA wants a relationship he doesn't He's just there because has a big night of drinking, tries to kill himself. It fails. We start to turn a little bit of a corner. He connects with PETA over swimming. And I remember I hit pause like right there because that's like the emotional turning point. And it's like, we're 40 minutes in. (laughs) So much (laughs) has happened character development wise, which, which also might be why some people don't like the movie because that's unrealistic to them um and then another 10 minutes after that we have a totally changed character and in my notes i put down we know something really bad is about to happen because everything is amazing right now at minute 45 he throws away his booze and opens his bible and it's like all right 
what's going to happen. And sure enough, the next scene, Samuel is talking to Peta about getting lessons from the piano teacher. Um, but it moves very fast on the development. But to me, that's really, really important because let's take a movie like Taken. Everybody can relate to the idea of what a father would do if their daughter was kidnapped. And that's all the emotional development that we need there to have stakes later on. But this is so much less interesting if that relationship with PETA isn't there, if there isn't that redemptive element there, and then it's, it's snatched from him. And so I think that 45 minutes is super important and gets me super bought in and then has me rooting for all of the really violent things that he does for the next hour. I'm not going around cutting people's fingers off and cauterizing it with cigarette lighters or shoving bombs at people's butts. And yet, like the last hour and a half, I'm like, come on, bring on the next bad guy. We, we have got to get to that kidnapper. There is a time to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm in and I'm rooting for it. That's um, great. Um, you know what, what, what I noticed, and this was actually an accident and this has to be a Tony Scott type thing on purpose but the movie is 146 minutes long at exactly the halfway point at minute gosh i think it was a minute seven, 73 is when dakota fanning gets kidnapped there is a yeah. pre-kidnapped we'll call it pk and a post-kidnapped We'll call it CK. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but no, it, to your point, you know, Taken is, all right, it's his daughter. Like, it's about to get real with his quote-unquote set of skills. But there is, there is very little personality groundwork. I think that T Dakota Fanning is the best child she actor. It. She crushes the, it. The, the way that she is able to nonchalantly talk to Denzel Washington and her movements mm -hmm. are so lax. And uh, this is her in so, War of the World. She's great too, but she has such a calming and confident presence, but also puts herself completely into a love for Chrissy. She renames her teddy, teddy bear Chrissy Bear. And she's like, I think, I think Chrissy's sad. He's like a sad bear. And so, uh, you know, her heart going out to him is naming her teddy bear Chrissy Bear so that she can hug him all the time. And the, the way that the first half of the movie is like making the audience say, all right, Denzel, you need to kill everyone <laughs> because yeah. it's not okay that PETA... Because she's, she's amazing. She is adorable. She's thoughtful. She cares so much for Creasy. It's it's awesome and so yeah. Let, props to Dakota Fanning. Absolutely. The, the other little little trivia that I learned last night: she, our girl, took swimming lessons, Spanish lessons, and what's the other thing she does? Piano lessons. She took that all is three one of them up to committed eight-year-old. That is unreal. <laughs> and and arguably the turning point of their relationship emotionally was also improv when they're in the kitchen and talking about concubines. Hmm. Uh, most of that was improv it, it ending at the the smiling back and forth at each other who's going to smile first uh, it, it's, so it, it's it's a great example of where you know in a movie like 
um, oh God, uh, like Jaws. It's so important to see Chief Brody in that movie have these super intimate moments with his kids and his wife, even though this is about a shark, because it raises the stakes about what he has to come back to. And right. Chrissy and Peta, you know, Peta asking for help, making a joke of like, could you imagine a thousand of my moms? And he just smirks and she's like, you smile. And he's like, no, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. Uh, that that is so good. Such such great acting on their parts, and if that is ad lib, I mean, when I was nine, I was like trying to ad lib my lunchbox um, and like <laughs> what to have it <laughs> in my fifth grade to barter with friends. Um, but, but so so much of that first half feels so grounded to me that it it helps us put up with some of the more unrealistic elements later. Like the, there was the a conversation I'm looking at on my notes right now is <laughs> outrageous yet very simple plot. <laughs> but like there was a scene that I paused in last night where it's just Peta and her mom talking and she says she he told me to call him uh John, is that okay? Uh, or just creasy. That's what it was. Just creasy. And she's like, Yeah, if he asks you to do that, that's what you're supposed to do. Hey, can you get me some floss in the morning? Yeah, what kind? Strawberry. strawberry. There's just like, yes. there's lots of these little conversations with housekeepers, with maids, and the family between school teachers and Creasy that just like makes it. I don't know. It, it just it it sucks you in, and it makes it makes it feel real and like this is a a real family in a real situation. It's great. Absolutely. The the um, chief nun at the school you know denzel's like hey the parents couldn't make it and she just stops and says today uh, you're, today you're her father uh, just uh that 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 kind of stuff where right and, to the and heart. he's coming and this is all after he is getting boozed up every single night asking christopher yeah, walken do you think do you think god is going to forgive us for what we've done and christopher walken just very simply said no and, and he, creasy says me neither yeah and, and then I, tries to I kill love, himself love that father line because because he's clean there right he's been he's been putting in all this work whereas uh movie time like 20 minutes before but uh like a month in the plot he tells the madre i'm the sheep that got lost just another dagger moment anyways i love this movie i could talk about it for forever but let's we we gotta move on yeah we can continue so um there's really a first half second half situation the first half is Creasy's history that we're hitting on, as well as the history of this specific family, where the father is a predominant rich businessman, and there's kind of a Japanese presence that's coming in that is really hurting them financially. And um, the father is trying to figure out how do I get a Ford or um, you know another type of company to come in here and use my manufacturing facility to keep us afloat, keep us going on. And he's talking to his shout out lawyer, Mickey Rourke, making- I wrote that down too, I totally, I forgot Mickey Rourke is in this movie. I forgot Mark Antony is the dad. What a cast. Mickey Rourke amidst, speaking of addiction, just probably just slicking his hair back, getting the sweat off his brow and saying, just please roll quickly. Mickey, that cracks me up every time. so that gives you an idea that it's a very rich family that's not in the best place. But amongst, I mean, Denzel is hired 
as a bodyguard because that is one of the uh, necessities for their insurance claims to go through. You mm -hmm. have to have a bodyguard. So there's some depths of like, all right, this is not just this uh, fatherly dude looking out for his daughter. This is a fatherly, a father in financial crisis trying to make sure that insurance is all matching up and I'm going to pay bottom dollar with Denzel saying, I'm an alcoholic, I drink. And he's like, ah, oh, well, just don't tell my wife. <laughs> Real quick, who the hell gets into kidnapper insurance? Like, I'm always sitting here thinking insurance companies and reinsurance companies have the easiest jobs ever. Kidnapping insurance seems like a terrible idea. Could and those you guys imagine are just somebody constantly graduation. paying out. <laughs> somebody at graduation just like this is uh john smith and he will be pursuing kidnapping insurance it's awesome it's like yikes it. so that kind of it's I, I really appreciate that that you hit on hit on this because there has to be structure and there's a pre-kidnapping and post-kidnapping and the kidnapping matters because of the first half of a redemption on denzel's side and a loyalty and love from dakota fanning's side um and just kind of clean up where we are in the plot. Me. I will clean up where we are in the plot. Uh, no okay, so we... Uh, Dad goes away on work. Denzel and Peta have been bonding over swimming. We have this huge swim meet. You're her father today. She wins. She's always been the fastest in the pool. She's always been the slowest off the blocks. That's part of how they start to connect. Denzel doesn't know how to be a dad or a father figure, but he knows about competition. He knows about fear. Boom. Connection. She wins. Things are going great. Family gets home. Things are going great. Takes her to this piano master, tells her to burp because she doesn't want to do piano. She wants to keep swimming. My kind of girl. And uh, he's walking the dog, having a great time. Claire de Lune comes on. Normally a great sign for Matthew Tucker and just how he's doing in a given day. Cue that something bad is about to happen. <laughs> sure enough, we see the bad guy from earlier in the movie who PETA gets most of his plate. He's pulling up. Some cops block off the street. Look, Mark Anthony hired a drunk Denzel thinking, no big deal. You know, he's cheap. Spoiler alert, but, uh, you know, he's the guy for the job because he's not going to be able to stop kidnappers. But we have sober, elite Denzel, and he immediately senses something is up, tells PETA to run, fires the gun, reminder of swim meet, she takes off, and he makes a valiant stand, takes out a couple of the kidnappers, the would-be kidnappers, takes a bullet, keeps going, totally would save the day if one of the guys that he had put on their butt Turned out he was actually alive. We all thought he was dead. And he gets one more shot in Denzel. Heartbreaking moment. Peta's supposed to be running. She gets away, but is distraught leaving Creasy, whom she loves, and runs back when she sees him on the ground, shot in the stomach. And the kidnappers take her. Okay. Have... So I'll stop. I'll stop you right there. Exceptional scene breakdown, by the way. So, um, I mean, look, it's tattooed uh, on <laughs> my brain. I, it really needed any time. Like you needed you're at a party out. and someone's like, who can give you scene breakdowns of all the big ones in Man on Fire? You have my number. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I did I did notice the second time around, 
he hired Denzel because he was an alcoholic because the dad is, you know, as you said, spoiler alert, is behind, behind this on financial reasons. Two, Peta asks, I'd like to swim and not play piano the day before she's going to get kidnapped at piano. And he says it's out of the question, which I thought that was interesting. That's why it was out of the question. Three, exactly. clear to loom. Yeah. Let me just so... make a list of movies for you <laughs> of the music that Tony Scott chose. Clear to Loon, I think the most iconic Clear to Loon moment is at the end of the highest notion of 11 when they're all just looking at the fountain. That's good. Yep. Um, these are the movies. Tell me if there's any matchup of movie style that the music from this movie included. Gladiator, Ocean's <laughs> Eleven, The Punisher, John Favreau's Chef, Wayne's World, Matrix Reloaded. The way the way that we are all <laughs> over the place with these movie scores. I mean, you have the yeah. I- iconic Enchalant from uh, from Gladiator, but then you also have the hype just banging music from the club and in, in matrix reloaded and yep. it's all in the exact same movie i think that is so funny that they chose these songs and i also think that the music the intensity and the volume and the music type dictates plot and it dictates pain in our movie here um mm. which is interesting like whenever he's cutting fingers off later on the music gets louder and louder every single time that he takes a finger. Um, but I love how Tony, I mean, that's just classic Tony Scott. There is no yeah. roadmap from beginning to end for this guy. Yeah. I've got the music down both in my what works and what doesn't work category for this yes. movie. There are, I mean, the music kills in a couple of parts that first Claire to loon to set off the kidnapping uh, I think the song is Elysium from Gladiator. Elysium, that's which right. Is so funny that he just is like, hey, bro, who did that song at the end of your best <laughs> picture winning film? All right, cool. I'm going to call him. And uh, and then the, the club song is awesome. And there's there, I love just the soft guitar picking. I love Una Palabra at the end. But then the things that don't work is one. he repeats himself on so many songs and audio cues that they start to lose their value and significance. Claire de Lune, (laughs) I have, I have written down multiple times. Oh, there's no, I have Claire de Lune overused. They love repeating stuff. (laughs) And then six bullet points later I have, and there's Claire de Lune again. (laughs) But there's, there's so many, there's like the, and this is the stuff that I'm saying at the beginning where he thinks he's being cool and smart. And it's like, ah, man, those are kind of some whiffs. He, the, like the audio of, of PETA screaming Creasy oh. is used, is used so many times and he kind of like shortens it. So it sounds like an animal and then spreads that throughout the movie. There's all of these repeat, like just little flashes of stuff. It almost feels like, and I would never accuse Tony Scott of this, but it almost feels like they were like, ah, it's a little short. We don't want to do a reshoot. Is there anything that we can reuse that we've already shot? Is there any audio we can reuse? 
it, 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 it's tough because the highs of the audio are amazing, but at the same time, the, the audio brings it down a little bit. Also, the dialogue is at like a two and the effects are at like a 105. <laughs> there were multiple times I turned up the volume to hear what they were saying and then burst my eardrums <laughs> as soon as there was a gunshot or explosion. <laughs> yeah. It was a, a I mean, little it's, tough. It's not Dakota's fault that we have to hear her say <laughs> Creasy, Crease, East, and E. And I'm like, I mean, we are... Like if she's getting paid for oh, word, then like she doesn't have a problem. But this is this is getting yeah. redundant. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I, I also think that like the uh, the culmination of the relationship is when she understands who Creasy is, which is really like a a hurt human being who is good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a little bit of a <laughs> like that. Like this kid is nine. Like, name your teddy bear Creasy and hug it. That's perfect. Don't give him the patron saint of, saint of redemption or of lost causes. Oh, like, man. Like how see, ma- this, is, this is why I can never be a movie critic, Blake, is that just entirely landed with me. Like, I could never be a movie <laughs> critic who anyone respects because there's, I, look, Armageddon is in my top five. It's objectively not a good movie, but I will go to bat for it with anybody. And it's because so many corny things like that just absolutely land with me. So I literally, when I watched this a year or two ago, got on Amazon.com and was trying to find a St. Jude pendant. That is not, (laughs) that is not fluff for the sake of good entertainment. That actually happened. I was Matt, like, oh my Matt gosh, Tucker. that's amazing. I love PETA. St. Jude's <laughs> Hospital is amazing. Gosh, what a great saint to have. It's like I mean, Matthew you know, that Tucker. That probably makes sense. She's Catholic. She probably got him. I, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, so the, the captain of nine-year-olds giving out specific saints. And you know that scene from Armageddon when Liv Tyler's about to make love to the music behind? Whoa, hang on. The, Let's not eat too much into our Armageddon bo- uh, pod. Cause I, uh, I'm, not, cause I'm, I'm sure coming it, back for it. I'm listen, for listen. It. I'm not coming at it. I just think it is so bizarre that, you know, Michael Bay decided the music while she's making love with animal crackers is her father's music. So we'll yeah, leave that there. I, I can't um, defend that. But both scenes got you. <laughs> yeah, they, it, it all gets me, man. It all gets oh, me. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, I think that something that – so we are at that, that halfway point, but we're – I mean, we're not at the halfway point of the pod. Don't worry. But that halfway Thank point God. is at the pretty much Creasy shot twice, and Christopher Walken, the best friend, comes into town to pretty much take care of him. And we get our classic – Creasy is a badass line Mm -hmm. um, whenever Walken's talking to the police captain. And this is, this is not just a cliche. This is like one of the Mount Rushmore, you know, John Wicks, like it it wasn't what he did it to, but the Creasy's art is death and he's about to paint his masterpiece. And like from, from then on out. This close to opening the pod with, a man can be an artist at anything. Boom, whatever. It depends on how good he is at it. Our art is podcasts, and we're about to paint <laughs> our masterpiece. 
But I was like, ah, this is my first one. I can't, I can't come out swinging. Let's just say, hey, I'm doing great. Okay, so to go backward a little bit. That's incredible. So, so we shift into this entirely different movie now, which is this, like, we've got an investigative journalism piece. We have a police corruption piece. And now it's full-on revenge movie. So Creasy wakes up in a hospital in handcuffs because he shot several cops. You might be asking, when did that happen? Well, turns out, very corrupt police force. They were some of the kidnappers. Then we get the the ransom process. We're introduced to Fuentes, who is perfectly cast. So many well-cast yep. people. And so we have all of this setup that has to happen before just full-blown revenge tour. So we have all these different elements being introduced. We have the ransom going wrong. Um, this was supposed to be a clean deal, but the kidnapper's nephew is killed. He kills PETA in retaliation. We get a great scene of the mom just kicking everyone going, out of her going house. Going nuts on the police. Going yeah. crazy. And, and Creasy is snuck out of the hospital, is recovering at a vet's office, and Walken is trying to take him to the naval base back in the and U.S. And he snuck because... out because the police is completely correct. Right. And if, if, he's, yeah. if he's in the hospital, then he's just going to get murdered. Exactly. And, and that's, that's kind of from the Denzel side of things. That's when the tone shifts and, and he says, I'm staying. And he's like, what are you talking about? You heard the doctor, you're going to bleed out if you don't take recovery seriously. And uh, he tells him that he's going to do what he does best. Oh no, he tells the mom that, but he says he needs help and walk and says anything, but I'm done killing. And we get our classic get ready for a, a mission montage after he sees the mom, gets Peta's journal, and tells her, I'm going to do what I do best. I'm going to kill him. Anybody involved, anybody who profited off of it, anyone who opens their eyes at me, I'm going to kill him. And she tells him, you're going to kill them all. Just whoof. And she then immediately into just assembling weapons and grenades from a, a, a sketchy Mexican woman in sunglasses indoors. It's great. I'm, I'm here no for doubt. all of it. I mean, there are so many sketchy Mexican fill-in-the-blanks here that, um, you know, even the tone of the movie looks very distinguished as, you know, depending on where you're at. Um, I thought that what was interesting was the tone, whenever he goes into these moments, matched the uh, the villains in some way um because of, yeah he's, he's going into a really dark place and he's almost matching the, the darkness he's about to take on but we are rooting for his darkness because his darkness is quote-unquote justified because of the first half of the movie um and you know there are twists and turns and all that but at the end of the day what you like what you have to understand in the plot is Chrissy survives the bullets and instead of just looking for this dude who kidnapped her, you start realizing that this is, as their leader says, this is a business. There is a chain of command. There are beneficiaries everywhere. Mm -hmm. Where all does it go? And the head reporter who's local and she's trying to take down this quote unquote brotherhood of kidnappers. Is really really feeding things that, that don't it. work. A lot the the brotherhood named the brotherhood. That was <laughs> the brotherhood that, was, that was a tough that was a tough moment for the film. I thought the dramatic introduction, 
there is a brotherhood. I should have named this the podcasters. <laughs> it's called La Hermandad, the brotherhood. <laughs> which, which on, in English on the screen just says right. the brotherhood. Yeah, yeah. tough, tough look. So really, really what we, we just start diving into is Tony Scott, um, the writer uh, here is Brian Hill Geldad. Gosh, I killed that. Couldn't tell. Um, but what we're offered here is some sort of organization to point Denzel to. Um, there can't just be this one dude who has him, you know, has these children or a child that he has to go find and kill. He has to realize that there is a bigger story here that for me totally works. It, it makes sense. Um, and we can kind of fly through the why of, you know, how this kidnapping takes place if you want. Yeah. So part of why the back half works so well is one, we have, we're super emotionally invested. And so a lot of the things uh, stylistically that rub me the wrong way, I'm able to totally ignore because there's just so much momentum. Like, mm -hmm. all right, we, we took care of that bad guy. He's got no fingers or ears on to the next one. Um, oh, another overused song that I love is uh, Pavarotti's Mason Dorma as a fingerless guy is pushed off a cliff in his car. Great song. Shout out some of all fears. Um, mm. And then we are slowly unraveling this plot and Denzel gets to the top and it's the chief of police or chief of some division anyways. And he's the president of La, La Hermandad and uh he drops on Denzel uh, this, you know, pretty crazy. The lawyer took money because we got to the drop and only half the money was there. So Denzel goes after the lawyer. Plot twist again. He's dead in his pool. He finds some bank accounts, gets a look on his face, drives to the Ramos's house, confronts the dad. The mom walks in and the first thing out of his mouth to her is, are you in on this too? And you're like, oh, I love that he went after the shoot. wife. It was awesome. And something I wrote down here, this is another, this is why it works with Denzel. It works with Denzel because Denzel has been just a, a cold professional aside from heart melting scenes with PETA. He's just been a, a professional. Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't want a relationship early on. He, and, and then in all of these, the, the mission, he is just stoic. He doesn't beat an eye. He is extremely pragmatic, efficient, surgical. Uh, he's a little charming with Fuentes because, as you said, he matches the people he's messing with. And Fuentes is a, a, a pretty yeah. charismatic dude. Um, but what I love about this scene is he is not calm, cool, and collected. He's shaking, his voice is quivering a little bit, and he does not have control over emotions. He does to the extent that he doesn't just walk in and shoot Samuel in the face, but you can tell he is angry. Because yeah, in his yeah. mind, he is dealt with people like Fuentes and this organization from his days uh, in special operations for the CIA. But when he realizes that one or maybe both of the parents are involved, he loses it. And it, it is it an all emotionally changes. charged. Yes. Oh, he, it all changes Man. with Fuentes because 
Yep, Fuentes. Um, he <laughs> he uh, he he's like, all right, I need to go after Fuentes, and just to get Fuentes, just because this has to be shouted out. He gets an yeah, RPG and goes to the second story of this old couple's house. Gets ready out the window to blow up this police brigades of cars. And this old couple's like, God says to forgive. And he's like, forgiveness <laughs> is between them and God. It's my job to arrange a meeting. And then That's blows so up when as, he's, as he's looking down the sights of an RPG. It is awesome. Unbelievable. Blows up Fuentes' car. Takes him. Fuentes wakes up to um, a bomb up his bum. And... <laughs> They start talking. He starts getting the truth. And I, one of the best lines is like, anything you wish, man, anything you wish, I'll give it to you. And he's like, I wish you had more time. And he walks off with, I mean, did Ooh. they play Clear to Loon again? <laughs> I think they might have. I think they might have. <laughs> Just incredible. <laughs> A walk-off slow-mo with Clear to Loon, uh, perhaps. Okay. Look, low-hanging fruit that was totally missed. Tony, if you're listening, you put a live five-minute countdown on the clock. Do that. They had like a pseudo five-minute countdown. You just that's that is easy money. The they didn't shy like away four... from, from na- names, words, sentences, and numbers on the screen. That's the yeah, time have, to put it on the screen. I have got that on my what doesn't work list. The screen is so busy and has so much text on it. And then there's finally a time where text would be excellent and they start a five minute counter and then it kind of fades away and pops back up at a new time. It's like a four minute, 10 second scene. Just make it a true five minute scene and let us watch the clock tick down the whole way. I thought that was- No, he might've, he (coughs) might've, excuse me. He might've learned that for Deja Vu because there is a clock on the, on the screen of almost every Deja Vu scene, uh, Deja Vu scene. That really left some meat on the boat and man on fire. We have got to make another movie involving time. And that's how we got deja vu. <laughs> but you are right though. The the tone of the movie, because it, it goes from um someone who is just absolutely clicked and I need to kill everybody to curveball. PETA like gave me a reason to live again. And yep. it might be her parents at fault here. So I, I love Oof. that you pointed that out, that he is, yeah, he is absolutely seething. unhinged. The, the, seething. I, I would love to, to read the, the, the script on this because he is talking over, he's late, he's early with all of his lines because he's, yep. and it's not accidental. It, he's thrown, it's like, he's like, no, you need to, no, you're right. Hey, the 10 million weren't all there. Like he, he, like he is interrupting awesome. himself because he's all over the place with this moment. And whenever he, realizes okay the wife was not involved this was the husband and the husband she goes hey i love you tell me what happened and he says it and she just says kill him or i will yeah chilling that's awesome and it's one of the one scenes it's one of many scenes where if this is just a run-of-the-mill action star this scene doesn't work nearly as well that was um that was a great moment, kill him or I will. And he decides he's not just going to do the unloading of his clip the way he's been doing. He 
he walks over calmly to the dad and just says, he pulls out the bullet from Pete that, that he tried to kill himself with that didn't discharge. Mm. And he pulls it out of Peter's diary and he said, it didn't work for me. They say a bullet always tells the truth and gives him one bullet with a gun and the bullet discharges for the dad, almost like a deserve has everything to do with that situation. Yeah, it's chilling. He ends it with, I'll pray for you, and pats him on the back oh. and walks out. It's it's wild. It's wild. A true unanswerable question is, how good is this guy's golf game, you know? Because <laughs> I love him just grinding away at the simulator while his company's in shambles. I bet Mark Antony's got a pretty good golf game, and I bet Samuel Ramos has an even better golf game. <laughs> That's a great guess. Great guess. So – um, he, he gets to the bottom of where, wh- what's happening and why is it happening? And now it's still just the final question of who, and they get huge dividends paid, um, from the local, uh, news person who is trying to take them down mm-hmm. as well. So where do we go from there? Yeah. On the side, we've had this, uh, we've got this fling between this Interpol, director who i believe is italian and is is a cheese ball and lovely and this kind of colder but super sharp uh mexican journalist and you're right they they're working with him you know christopher walken in that scene that you were alluding to tells the interpol director he'll deliver more justice in a weekend than 10 years of your courts and tribunals Mm. just stay out of his way and they're like yeah, deal. We're we in. totally intend to. Yeah, they're giving him addresses. They're doing sting <laughs> yeah, operations to get photos. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, these people would be tried and convicted in America, <laughs> but but the whole time we're thinking, yes, this is this is justice. Is there checks and balances? No, but corruption is rife. It's it is fully saturated. So we're gonna mix things up. And they're able to come away after they get a debit card from the rave and blow that up. And then info from uh, the, the OG guy and a photo from the sting operation. They're able to get a name and an address. And Denzel goes to the address and he finds the kidnapper's brother and pregnant wife and children. By the way, kind of not cool that the pregnant wife is in the slums when daniel is chilling at a mansion with i believe a side piece and some other children i don't fully know what's going on there but i love he bad, uses creasy bad for daniel he uses creasy as like a <laughs> as some sort of like shrink he goes well we're separated you know how it is it's like well <laughs> there's such a bigger line between you're separated you know how it is to like i'm in my mansion and yeah. my wife my pregnant wife is literally like in the fourth story <laughs> yeah. it's wild it's wild well, so... we're on we're separated you know how it is it's like oh no doubt man hey how's that going it's like why are you telling creasy that? it's awesome so Creasy confronts the brother. He gets shot. Another note for me under what doesn't work. Uh, Denzel gets shot. Creasy's response least, time. At least one too many times. We His recovery done, is iconic. It, it is maybe 
they truly were writing this thinking he's supernaturally sustained because of all these spiritual elements but holy cow how many like i think the last this plot was line in four his years sternum old. he has <laughs> it cuts away after this action with blood and a hole in the middle of his chest and his yankees jacket and yet he's Anyways. still like interrogating like everyone going up the stairs to the roof and just like Oh, it's a flesh wound, like through and through. No, wow. dude, that that is straight through the logo on your T-shirt. Could we get a bulletproof vest? Could we <laughs> yeah. get just shrapnel? They're like he, we get it. He's gonna die. You don't. Uh, anyways, so, so he gets the, the brother. Turn? Yeah, the big turn is he gets the brother. He gets the pregnant wife. He calls Daniel the voice Ramos. No, not Ramos. Lupita is Ramos. Oh, no. Did I mess up the last names this whole time? We're going to ignore that. He calls Daniel. <laughs> and he tells Daniel him Sanchez. he wants him. Is it Sanchez? Okay, great. Thank goodness I got the Ramos is correct. He tells Daniel he wants him. He has his brother. And in a ruthless moment, he says, I'll put your brother on. Puts yeah. the phone next to his ear and blows his brother's hand off. Which leads everyone screaming. The wife pulls out. It looks like several million, maybe tens of millions in cash and throws it at him. And he says, I want you. I don't want anything else. I want you. And Daniel says, okay, a life for a life. He's like, what and do you mean? He says, what do you mean? And the the way, anytime you see this movie, you assume, or excuse me, when you see this type of movie, you assume Peter's going to live. But the way they deliver the news and then the way they give us a juke out at the rave, at least the first time when I was watching, had me think, oh, no, Peter's really dead and he's going scorched earth. Peter's dead, he, meaning whatever he does from here on out is totally justified. Exactly. And Daniel reveals that Peter's alive and he says, I want proof. Ask her what she calls her teddy bear. And we hear Daniel and his kind of slimy voice say creasy bear she calls him he's creasy bear and then and we just get... enter the tony scott 35 cameras at once <laughs> moment because denzel <laughs> has realized <laughs> denzel has realized that pete is alive and we get forty nine thousand cameras is Spinning, it's upside down, it's shaking, <laughs> the exposure is whack, the color changes, just anything you can do. Denzel is white for a second. Done. Yeah, it's, it is insanity. <laughs> um, but holy cow, go us, PETA's alive. So he takes the brother hostage, he calls the mom and says, don't get your hopes up too much, but I think PETA might be alive, meet me here. And they're now strongly foreshadowing. And just real quick with that phone call, something that always bothered me is that it was never in the cards for Peter to be alive through the entire, from kidnapping on when she goes ballistic, there was never a moment where Peter could be alive. And he calls and says- It feels very much like a movie where she is dead. Absolutely. And he calls and says- Hey, Peter might be alive. And her first sentence out is, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. Like, 
That's funny. I think I fast forwarded through that. Uh, yeah, like, that's not a good line. It's like, <laughs> no, like there, there, there's been no moment where PETA could potentially, it's not like, Hey, I think that I could find the guy I need money or, Hey, I need you to leave your house because right. you're in danger. It's, Hey, your daughter, I think is alive. And she's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, see, but you can, because you know, she's like your daughter and stuff. <laughs> Right. right. That always has been, <laughs> I'm going to kill them all, not I'm going to find PETA. Uh, I misunderstood what you were saying a second ago. Yes, that is very funny and very correct. But she, you know, she's able to overcome her inability to do this anymore and hops in a car and drives to this bridge, this beautifully set bridge that I didn't notice this until this was my two millionth time watching this movie <laughs> but we get a cut of this bridge and denzel in the back of the criminal's car in the first the very first scene that we didn't see denzel which uh i'm I, i'm not exactly patting tony scott on the back for that i just thought oh interesting also that's I, continued evidence wow. of you overdoing wow. it yeah go back I never noticed that. um they go to the bridge denzel they are heavily foreshadowing is dying no matter what. And he has a sawed off shotgun pointed at the kidnapper's brother. And he gives the mom specific instructions. I'm going first. Do not let him go until you have PETA. Do not come, come back for me. And uh, she realizes what that means. It's a little emotional. He comforts her with a good old pat on the back and starts walking. And at this point, I, as the viewer, know that Peter is alive, but I'm still a little dubious. And when they open the door and pull her out and unblindfolded, I mean, if you thought St. Jude got me, Peter running up the bridge, screaming Creasy and seeing the wave of relief that comes over Denzel. Again, this scene is way worse with other action stars. But he is so relieved and so overjoyed. And the cold professional melts away. And he gives her this big, big hug and a goofy, stupid hi to Pita. <laughs> it's, it, it, it is awesome. There, there, there are... I, I honestly probably have like on my phone a list of like the three movies that get me there mm -hmm. for what I, and and it's no reflection of the quality of movie or like the emotional it's not a cry but I'm not a crier yeah by the way Little... the uh, permission to hand the sh to shake the hand of the yeah, girl. Yeah. That, not, that, not to take too much from a future pod, but the but, reason Armageddon is a top five movie is it <clears> broke <throat> a five-year streak of me not crying. So Dude. that's just a little teaser. Little teaser like, shout out Armageddon. Pod. And then when uh, Ben Affleck says Baltimore and the sum of all, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was uh, not expecting two sum of all fears but, references on this pod. <laughs> But but yeah, when, no, the scene I've seen this scene a million times, and when, I I I fast forward through half of this movie on this rewatch. And go ahead, when Peta, whenever he does the dumb high and he says you're going home, and she's like, "What about you?" And he he goes, "I'm going home too," and 
he says to the blue uh, bayou and he she uh, hugs him and says i love you creasy but you love me right and he says with all, all my, my heart, heart please go and with all my heart Peter. yes now go that uh, is that is i mean man I'm, that that's whenever you like find a weird album from your parents record and you play it and you fall in love i like stumbled onto this weird tony scott movie and that yep. scene i was just like in my dorm room freshman year losing it you yep. know studying for physics and yep. that scene lives rent free of just like the yep. mo- the moment of to your point it has to be denzel yep it it can't be some badass which by the way this is a remake this is this was made back in the 80s <laughs> and uh i don't see that moment happening um i, I well, maybe I, it might be worth a watch but that that is such a culmination of the payoff of the first hour and 13 minutes with yeah. that kit child actress and that actor that is all paid off in the end because I just watched the Northman last night, which is just like one of those classic revenge movies. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have that with so many and then the payoff at gladiator and all that. And you're just like, Oh, good for you. Go to your family and all that. But like, man, Tony Denzel, what a great payoff. Even though you know that Denzel shot in the chest has an end game of his own. Yeah. As we get, I love you, Creasy and you love me too. Don't you? And Elysium comes on, which is the big emotional score piece from Gladiator. Yeah. And big hug and tears. She runs to mom. They go away. Denzel walks to his death. We get the song Una Parab- uh, uh, Parabla. Una Parabla. No que dice nada. Yeah. Great song. Great song. Go look it up. And Denzel clutches his St. Jude pendant. Blake's favorite part of the movie. And <laughs> yeah. either dies in the backseat or passes out to be executed later and uh daniel is killed upon arrest by our favorite interpol officer and to your point and honestly to the critics point on rotten tomatoes this is a very very imperfect movie and part of why tony scott i think has had the success that he's had is i think and, and, and there's a couple directors that this applies to, but I think that he gets the idea for just like a couple, maybe five scenes for a movie. And is like, we need to make a movie for these scenes. And what's in between those scenes might not be amazing. But those scenes are great. And the scenes that jump out at me here, I, frankly, there's a lot of them because I'm a sucker, but the, Denzel's intro works. The suicide scene, attempted suicide scene is awesome. The torture scenes are great. The rave scene is great. Walk-in at the police station is great. The RPG launcher is great. Fuentes and the bomb is great. Confronting Samuel is great. And the bridge scene, the bridge scene is just the culmination of all of them. And so what keeps me coming back to this movie despite its many flaws, which I would love to take, I've peppered them in, but we can rip through some more of them, is that those all really pay out for me. And so I'm able to set aside the, at times, 
really bad camera and score work and text on the screen because I know the next one of those scenes is coming up and the and look and part of to me in how I rate movies is what I felt when I originally watched it and to your point you remember watching that in your dorm room freshman year and it cutting right to the heart and part of why I like it this is it's rewatchable and it still brings up a lot of those feelings but the first time I saw it I was I was floored that Ooh. that was such a payout that I didn't really care about what else happened. And this was, yeah. I watched this in formative days where, you know, I've got a soft spot for the transformer movies. Don't, you know, maybe cut that part out, but this is that I watched this movie at a time where I'm starting to pay attention to camera work. I'm starting to pay attention to the score i'm starting to pay attention to the acting and this movie does not work if it's not dakota fanning and it's not denzel washington uh because they they make so many of those scenes that i just talked about work it's it's great yeah i mean at the very least you get denzel just walking around being denzel the way that he handles a gun Mm -hmm. the way that he takes the lid off a Jack Daniels bottle, the way that he is driving the car, the way that he talks, the way that he has bricks in his hands to replicate a gun. At the very least, you have that. If you go to the critics and they say this, I'm like, no, no doubt. Listen, bet. But like, <laughs> <laughs> like they're like, you know, the, the first critical thing on my list, if I were just a critic, which, by the way, critics are the worst. It's just like I, my job is to go into a great <laughs> literally movie and figure out. Critical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, gosh, what Debbie Downers. Like, there's a negative connotation with your job title. But I mean, the first critical thing in my head, outside of the plot line or what line was said or what, you know, words were and were not on the screen, is. <laughs> Like, and sometimes I think Tony Scott thinks that like Top Gun is like that Maverick's just out there. Oh man, Creasy, John Creasy died in two thousand three, and upon arrest, the police killed our villain. Mm. It's like. You know, yes. this story isn't yes. real. It's like, this isn't Invictus. Like, it's this, awesome, though. This I love it. I thought the exact it's like, same thing. Yep. It's like, they, they finish it up with these post-credit, like, paragraphs of, like, William Wallace's body was put into England <laughs> and Italy. It's like, John Creasy died in this month. It's like, John Creasy's not real. This is a remake that they decided to reshoot in Mexico City because... At in 2004, kidnapping was out of control in Mexico City. John Creasy did not die in 2004. He died when credits started. But that was one of the funniest. Like, I had to go online and be like, "Is Man on Fire real?" <laughs> and then it's like, "Man on Fire remake from 1982." I'm like, "Okay, yeah." That was yeah. that was hysterical to me. Um, but look, we and this is. All right. If I, you know, if your if your listeners will have me on again, you'll hear me say again that something that is really important to me in a movie is that a movie knows what it is. 
this is this is part of my justification for some of the crappy movies that I I really really like. Most very self serious movies and are good movies know what they are, and that's part of why they're good. Cool. So the movies that bother me are the ones that take themselves super super seriously, but are not that serious of movies, and there's just a whiff there. And some movies know exactly what they are. Armageddon does not pretend to be anything other than here what it go. is. You're and telling I'm, me, and you're I'm, telling I'm, me I'm not to talk about Armageddon. For it. All right, yeah, that's on me. Man on Fire knows what it is. It, it, it sort of has split personality syndrome. It thinks it's a lot of things, but it takes all of those things very, very seriously. It's like, you know what we are? We're a redemption story revenge movie. Let's get it. And I, that, to me, smooths out a lot of the wrinkles. The, the opening... It writes a lot of wrongs. You're right. Right. Exactly. And you know what? Tony Scott thinks he's a little cooler than he is at times, but I just love this movie. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the I, you know, as time goes by, and this is kind of out there, but uh, Ewan McGregor was talking about how he never wanted to do Star Wars and Obi-Wan Kenobi again, because when the trilogy came out at the time, he just got crapped on again and again and again until <laughs> the generation that fell in love with it grew up and voiced their love for it, which yeah. reinvigorated his love for it, which made him want to come back. That to me is a great culmination of satisfaction and nostalgia where not only do I love the bones of this movie, but I love Denzel, who is like Denzel and Tom Hanks are my dad's favorite uh, actors of the modern times. And um, I get to appreciate something that I know my, my dad appreciates. I get to appreciate something that I was floored by that I felt like I discovered. I feel the same way with American Gangster of Denzel. and Because mm -hmm. uh, that's not, that is not a mainstream media type movie that is un- believable ridley scott denzel and russell crowe um yep. but the body of work here of just watching denzel be just an absolute badass along with like the best bodyguard that you could ever ask for on a on an emotional level but also a safety level um it all culminates into this movie lives in my life i have a full-fledged alphabetical DVD list, uh, DVD set in my closet I'm super proud of. And one of the movies is uh, <laughs> Man on Fire. And I was just, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to rent it on Apple for three bucks. You know what? No, like, let's do this right. Let's go pull out the DVD yes, player. Let's pull out the DVD on. and then do play, play movie and then go to scene selection later to, like, go look up my favorite moments. But, um, but no, you're right. It's... It's such a pleasure to do this with you specifically. It is a pleasure that out of your short list to, to start kind of the genesis of what you and me are going to do on this pod, Man, of Fire, uh, Man on Fire was on of it, was one of it. And, and I immediately chose that because I thought, you know, some of these movies I can get behind, but the only person that's going to that's gonna recognize Man on Fire in the same light that I do is going to be mad. So there, there are Come good on. players here, and uh, this was a lot of fun, man.
Dude, right back at you. Uh, so long as we don't get a whole bunch of complaints about how I just went on and on and on and on and on and on. Hey, they would don't stumble. Love, they don't stumble upon clicking these. Would, would love to do it again, man. This is a ton of fun. That'd be great. We we absolutely need to do it again. Uh, just to be clear, Armageddon is not a good movie. There are 17 <laughs> different ways that they could have saved the world, except, you know, getting drillers off site to go be astronauts. Oh, but man. That's for another day. But this is a lot of fun, Matt. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you on very quickly. And dare I say, get into co host territory. Ooh, be careful with those words, Blake. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon, man. Sounds good, Blake. Thanks. See you.